0: Colloquium, Episode 11, Kill Things for a Living, Curtis J. Weeb on Rat Queens. Welcome to Colloquium. My name is Marcus Ahn, and this is my comics creator interview podcast for Secwart. I recently had a chance to talk with writer Curtis J. Weeb. He has received consistent critical acclaim for his work on series like Green Wake, Peter Panzerfaust, Debris, Grim Leaper, Intrepids, and the focus of this episode, the awesome Eisner-nominated series, Rat Queens. Before we get to the interview, I just want to mention that it was recorded days before the announcement that artist Rock Upchurch would no longer be illustrating the series, following a domestic violence arrest. I did ask Curtis if he wanted to record something about the situation, but he politely declined. In his own words, it's still too raw, which is a completely valid and understandable response. If you're looking for Curtis's thoughts about what happened, he has posted a statement on his website, curtisweeb.com. Okay, so that said, what you're about to listen to is a positive and personal exploration of Rat Queens. Curtis and I discussed how the series breaks down social barriers, whether or not there will be lineup changes, goblin punk bands, and where the Rat Queens would likely cause trouble. If they ever lived in our world. Hello. Hey, Curtis. How's it going?
1: Hey. Good. How you doing? Sorry. Sorry about this whole rigamarole
0: here. Ah, uh, no problem. I understand stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and I debated, I debated whether to leave or not, thinking maybe that power would come on. But
1: yeah, it came on like I think about. 15 minutes after we should have started. So I wasn't even sure either, but I thought I'd message anyway, but here we are.
0: And hopefully it won't go out while we're doing this interview.
1: It's been on. We kind of had this weird, like it was flickering on and off. It would turn off for like two seconds and then come back on for like all morning. And then it just stopped coming back on. So that hasn't happened since then. So I'm holding on hope that it'll stay, stay on.
0: Uh, Are you uh, deep in the woods of Canada or something?
1: Uh, I, I used to live right in Vancouver. Uh, but, uh, we just moved, it's about 40, 40, minutes northeast of Vancouver proper. So yeah, it's, it's in the woods. Like we look on our deck and it's just trees everywhere. There's not really anyone around. So
0: that's fantastic though.
1: Yeah. I love it out here. It's awesome.
0: All right, great. Well, let's, uh, talk about Rat Queens. Sure. Let's start out by just letting people know what this book is all about. How do you, uh, describe this series to people who might not know what it is?
1: Uh, I think my favorite thing that i've heard other people say that they used to sell it is uh lord of the rings as if directed by quentin tarantino hmm. uh i mean i obviously there's some pretty key differences but i think as far as like you know it's a rated r fantasy co- comedy <laughs> series i guess would be the best way to put it um it revolves around four uh Mercenaries that, uh, they take money to do really difficult jobs that nobody else wants to do, which usually involves killing monsters.
0: Mm hmm. And so, why did you want to do a book about sassy, foul mouthed fantasy women?
1: Ah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I, I've always kind of been drawn to writing female characters in this kind of, in this kind of way. It, um, a few of my other series have had that. And in fact, my very first, Series that I had done through Red 5 Comics. Uh, They're the guys that do Atomic Robo. Anyway, I had a really short stint uh, series with them called Beautiful Creatures, which was kind of the same. It was four female leads and it was a modern fantasy story. Um, so I've always kind of wanted to come back to that. Uh, you know, I wrote that series probably about five years ago now and it wasn't very good. So I wanted to do, <laughs> kind of make up, <laughs> make up for that and, and really, really do a good job of it. So, and it's just fantasy is something, especially, uh, kind of more traditional fantasy is, is something that I've wanted to play in for quite some time. And, uh, you know, obviously I, it's pretty clear that I'm a gamer on top of being a comic writer. So obviously there's a bit of that influence in there as well. You, inspiration coming from, just stories of our own my own games with my own friends and just kind of realizing some of the ridiculousness of, you know, say looking into the the player's handbook and there actually being something called dwarven ale as though there's no other kind of <laughs> ale that they brew. It's just the entire species only makes one ale. Uh so just just silly stuff like that that I like to to play with.
0: Well, uh what was bad about that Red Five series?
1: Um it's, I was really new at comic writing then. It was, was my first series and I'd done a lot of practice. You know, I'd written quite a few scripts that, and done a lot of pitches that, you know, ultimately were rejected. So I'd learned a bit, but it really, really shows kind of my, um, inexperience with writing, uh, not, not just comics, but writing in general. You know, like one of the characters, mm. one of the characters was from Paris, uh, as an example and, because I didn't know any better. She talked in a really ridiculous, like I really wrote out her accent and it was really grating. And I thought it was like, well, that's how French people talk. So I just, you know, like I, I have learned from that experience to be that people will put that on the character themselves. You don't need to Mm -hmm. spell everything out for them.
0: Right. Didn't any French people call you out on that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I don't know that anybody actually read that series. So I think that was probably for the best. (laughs)
0: <laughs> now, is that why you decided to use modern language uh, for rat queens? Because um, you failed at French?
1: <laughs> no, that's uh, that was just kind of something that was decided from the get-go. You know, like I found that any fantasy that I read, nobody talked like people do. <laughs> you know, it's always this weird. <laughs> Kind of being stuck in medieval Europe for whatever reason, the traditional fantasy is is somehow always connected to that. And I think while well, Rat Queens, the world itself, like maybe the visuals are somewhat um, similar to that. I I just I didn't want to write like that. You know, even Red Sonia, which is uh, you know a, a, it's a great series now that Gail Simone is on it, they still talk like that and. I don't know why. I, I, there's a part of you that understands <laughs> it because that's just, that's just the way it's been established, but it feels unnecessary now. And you know, you look at a book like Saga, that is a science fiction s- series where they talk like we do. And I think it's just much more relatable. And I find that I can write these characters much more believably because I can understand their point of view and the way they talk. Yeah,
0: I mean, they're definitely more relatable because of the language. Um, so, was the idea for Rat Queen something you worked on for a while? How long did it take to develop that series?
1: Well, I talked to Rock, and I worked on it for. I'm just trying to think the timeline here. We had from the, even the early planning stages, we had been working on it since. Um, so it came out in September 2013. So we've been working on it since November of 2012. So almost a full year. But, I mean, Rock was working on other stuff, and, and he was really busy. So it was just kind of a sideline thing. And then we really ramped it up in the new year, uh, of so January of 2013. And when we decided to actually kickstart it and do it, I had been in contact with Comixology about their – they had this Comixology submit program where right. – so I'd already kind of gotten the green light there. And we were going to kickstart the whole thing so that, you know, I could pay Rock. And it was going to be a completely different – thing actually uh it was gonna be kind of like a kind of like a web comic but we would put out like a t- 15 to 20 page comic you know every month it'd be like a five issue thing and then we would collect it and then and do you know kind of the same format now but the stories would not have been connected it would have been more <laughs> of like the web comic kind of a gag but in like you know 15 to twenty pages. So we had had a whole bunch of ideas for gags that just didn't really work in in the structure that we finally went with. And, and how that happened was, we I had set up the Kickstarter, everything was ready to go, and then I was talking to Riley Rossmo, who's a, a good friend of mine, and he's Riley Rossmo. Of course, has done a whole bunch of stuff, but right now he's working on Rasputin. He's a fantastic. Did he
0: work on Bedlam?
1: Yes, oh, I love that book. Yeah, Riley's an awesome guy and, a, and an amazing talent. We actually had done, uh, two series together before that. We had done Green Wake with him and, uh, Debris. Uh, but anyway, so he, I had shown him the, the sample that we had done, uh, for this, the Comic Solid, or for the, uh, Kickstarter. And he's just like, why aren't, why aren't you submitting this to Image? I was like, ah, I don't know. Like fantasy isn't really their thing. And I know Skull Kickers was already out and, you know, I, I wasn't sure how well that book was doing. Fantasy was always kind of a hard sell, especially mm-hmm. around that time. Up until that time, it seemed like it was a book that not many publishers would want to do. So I had not even bother to submit it to them. So I did.
0: That's crazy, because you already had books, I didn't.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's. I don't know what I was thinking in retrospect. But, uh, yeah, so I submitted it. And then, like, an hour later, I heard back from Jim Valentino at Image Shadowline. He's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So it's just like, okay, so it changed gears from there, and then, you know, then I actually had to start planning it to be something completely different, you know, it really was just going to be just gags and, and jokes, uh, with no overall story, so it did change, obviously, we were building a pretty big story, and, um, yeah, it took a little work to get that done, but, uh. I guess that's a really long answer to a really short question.
0: <laughs> well, how did you and Rock uh, first meet?
1: Uh met him at New York Comic Con in 2011. He had just uh I think they just released Vessel the same the same month as that show or maybe the month before. And I remember seeing his art and just like really really loving it. Um especially in the way that he drew figures and expressions. Um, it's like no one I've ever seen before. And, and it's, you know, he has an animation background, which I think is, is pretty obvious from his work. Um, so yeah, we, we met actually, like I saw his stuff at the show and then we we're walking, me and a bunch of friends were walking after the show and we ended up in the same corner as, you know, Rock and, and the other guys, uh, from Vessel, mm-hmm. the writer and the letterer and stuff. And then we ended up just striking up a conversation and, uh, Yeah, that was the first time I met him, and then after the show, I emailed him and said, hey, if you ever want to work on something after Vessel, I would love to work with you, and it just kind of went from there.
0: Hmm. Now, did you have definitive designs in mind for the Rat Queens when you uh, pitched the book uh, to Rock?
1: No, but we had actually done, before we had done Rat Queens, we had done a pitch together before that, and I only really pitched it one place, and it just, I don't know, I just... I guess I lost confidence with it, but it was kind of a similar idea. It was set in the same kind of universe, uh, except it was the three. There was three leads, and they were female. and the, the series was called The Goblinettes, and it was about a goblin punk band. That basically, because goblins are evil creatures, and because they were punks, they would sing about love and getting along, and you know, be, <laughs> being really nice to each other. And then the whole thing is, is that they. There's this, you know, this one goblin that's part of this revolution that likes their band. He gets captured, and so the girls have to go on a quest to meet them. So it was kind of like Joe seen the Pussycats in Lord of the Rings was was the basic premise, but that didn't really go anywhere. So we both really like fantasy, and that's something that we wanted to work on. Um, so he already knew the feel of the world that we were building and how, you know, magic and technology would kind of be part of it. Um, and then the care, the girls themselves, it was actually. I had written up just four, uh, entries. One, like a a paragraph basically for each girl. I didn't really have a lot of physical description. It was Mm -hmm. mostly just their personality, a bit about their background, um, and then their role within the party. So that, I sent that off to him and he did the designs. Uh, the only one that really changed was Betty. Originally he drew Betty, uh, like she was pretty round. She was a pretty pudgy version. Mm hmm. Um, but she was supposed to be kind of like the thief rogue type character. So I'm like, she needs to be really, really stealthy and like really agile and acrobatic. Um, so that was the only real change, but yeah, everything else was pretty much, he sketched them and they were approved right away. I think Hannah originally had a green, green design. Like she had a green dress and stuff like that, but that's really all that changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, has your uh, relationship, your working relationship with Rock, uh, changed or evolved from when you first uh, started out?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's pretty much the same. You know, when you work on a project long enough, there's there's a lot less need for, um, I guess there's just like more trust as far as delivery on how, like, what I see in the script is something that he always delivers on. And and that was something that actually became apparent. I, I guess in this way it changed a little bit, is that, I mean, I knew he could draw characters and, and expressions well, but I wasn't sure how he would do with comedy. Because comedy mm-hmm. is a really... Like, comedy in general is hard, but then having to combine it with the writing and the art, it's it's fairly difficult to pull off. And so I think I've been lucky working with Rock because he's so good at it. Um, you know, we there's a perfect example in the very first issue. There's a scene where uh, Betty and Violet are sitting there and, and Hannah makes this comment about bridge, uh, smidgen's, you know, breeding as much as goblins. And then Betty says this line of, you know, yeah, we like, you know, putting, pushing things out of our body as much as we like putting things in. And originally Violet had said something in that panel, but the expression alone was like, that was the joke. And I cut her line. Mm-hmm. So just that rock has that ability to, you know, take, the comedy that's there and make it kind of his own and that's been something that's happened numerous times in the book where i'll have i'll have the dialogue there and he'll read how that's supposed to feel and then the dialogue becomes unnecessary so it's it's really good like you just get that trust where you know yeah he's gonna totally get what i'm doing here
0: are you uh doing some crafts over there
1: no <laughs> Is it really noisy yeah oh that one was
0: Uh, Let's see. Well, have you ever had any uh, disagreements on the way the book uh, is built?
1: No. No, it's, you know, we we are co-owners of it. And I think because we had such a long development time on it, we really understand where things are going. And we always stay pretty open in communication. Like whenever I have an idea for where I want the series to go, um, i'll always run a buy him to see if you know he agrees or if it's something that he wants to do or you know like for instance for the art coming up after this one i'm like is there anything that you really want to draw and mm-hmm. he'll say some things that he'd like to get, try his hand and I'll try to include that into the story as best i can so yeah we're always talking about where things are going and plans for the characters and all that kind of stuff well in advance so that nothing's really a surprise sometimes i still do surprise him with, with events, um, mm-hmm. just cause I want to get a reaction out of him. But, uh, for the <laughs> most part, we were always on the same page.
0: You have to put those goblinettes in the book, a punk rock, uh, goblin band. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah. That's, that's actually the plan. They're They are going to show up in pretty soon, actually. And there's, we actually hint at them in, uh, the first arc, uh, Betty's girlfriend, Fairy, she wear, in her first appearance, she's wearing a shirt. That is basically a goblin hand giving the, you know, the devil horns, and uh, that is a Goblinettes t-shirt.
0: Ah, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I didn't even catch that. I just reread the whole thing, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, most people don't, right? Unless you're, like, the super fan that reads everything that we post about, then, you know, that's something you wouldn't catch on to. Mm.
0: Well, you mentioned that you're a fan of fantasy, and so is Rock. And uh, given that this is a medieval fantasy series, um, Rat Queens reminds me a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, which is something I loved as a kid. Were there any specific fantasy stories or games that influenced the book? Uh,
1: Well, like, I'm a gamer even to this day. You know, it's something that I find to be a really great creative exercise and, and something that I find that if I don't do, you know... With some frequency, that uh, I actually find that it, it it's a way to I don't know if the word's reset, but to like work in a creative capacity. I mean, work doesn't even make sense; it's not work, but to to play in a, a creative capacity that is completely freeform, and there's not any like deadlines or anything. It's just like you have an evening of. For me, it's storytelling because I, I never actually play a game; I always run a game.
0: Oh, really. Uh-huh. You're the yeah. game master.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always, I always do the storytelling, and and for me, it's, it's really, really fun because it is a way for me to be creative without there really being too much expectation. And so, yeah, I mean, D and D is definitely, or role playing games in general has an influence. You know, you can see it pretty clearly in some of the references, and I, I try not to, I try not to do it too much. You know, I feel like I don't want people that have no idea about gaming to be like, oh, this is a gamer book. Right. And that was one of my concerns. You know, we did... I, I had seen a lot of people talking about it online. Oh, if, you know, it's totally a book for D&D players. And totally is, but it's totally not just that group of people. Uh, so I try to make the jokes that are D&D-based still relatable for people who have no idea about gaming. Um, but it is it is an influence, I and mean, it's undeniable. There's, There's dialogue... And scenes in the the series that are directly from some of my gaming sessions that, <laughs> you know, my my friends that I've played with for you know fifteen years, who probably don't even read the book, <laughs> they would if they did read the book. What kind of friends are those? <laughs> they're not comic reading friends, <laughs> but they would they would totally get them. You know, there's a perfect example is um, uh, there's two that I can think of off top of my head. At the very end of the very first issue that giant troll smashes that guy to pieces and that was right out of out of a game that i had run where this new guy had joined our our session for you know friend of a friend and he had just made a total munchkin character like just you know gave him the best stats and just tricked him out to be like unbeatable by the rules and i hate people who do that i <laughs> i play games for story not for like people like some people like the crunchy numbers and, and the dungeon diving i'm not into that so basically, uh, I just randomly, it didn't even make sense at all in the story, I threw them up against a cave troll, and he was bl- mashed to oblivion. So that was a reference to that. Uh, and then there is a scene later on in the series where Sawyer and Betty are sharing that scene after he kills that assassin. And uh, she says that, you know, the sh- secrets line. Mm-hmm. Um, that was right out of our campaign, too. I had a campaign called... Secrets—that was the name of the campaign—and every time we sat down to play the game, we would all say that. You know, we go shh, secrets, and that was anyway. that So a lot of that kind of stuff is like right out of my own life.
0: I mean, that's fantastic. I've never heard of a comic book that's based on you know interactions and in role-playing games. That's pretty neat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely. I, I like to do it because there's so many things that you know. Whenever I see those friends, we still do. We still joke about it, and I think. You know, there's there's something valuable in putting those kinds of experiences into a book because, yeah, people can relate even though they don't understand that that's the context of it. it. For me, it makes it a much more personal book and something that when I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, like that's something that happened in my past, and so it is a much more personal writing experience.
0: Well, you do a good job. I mean, I wouldn't know that you know there were the gaming references in there, and I don't think anybody else who isn't a gamer. Well, we needs to know that you know no. it stands on its own as a comic um well how often do you play dnd uh
1: well we a little bit more frequently before we moved out into the woods but um i would say you know once every couple weeks if i can if i mean ideally i'd love to do a game once a week but mm-hmm. you know it, it's as you're uh, get to be an adult and get older it's much more difficult you know i, I have a three-month-old now and and we live 40 minutes away from our friends, and so it's it's a little bit more difficult to organize things, but yeah, it, it's it is a big part of my my social life, not just like role playing games with board games and and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a pretty important part of of uh, how I interact with my friends. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, congrats on the new baby. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just picked up the Atomic Robo RPG. And you mentioned Atomic Robo earlier. Um, yeah and it's pretty cool. I haven't really started playing it yet. I've been reading through it, but I was thinking that Rat Queens would be a perfect property to take into gaming. Is there any interest in in developing a game around your characters and the world?
1: Um I you know, I've been I've been at this before and it's it's hard to say because if I'm being really honest, the the world of Rat Queens is such a in my opinion it's it's not as Nearly as important as the characters and their stories. Um, and you know, I feel like, I feel like people who read fantasy know enough about fantasy roles to be like, they understand kind of what the status quo is. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the same realm when, you know, dragons and orcs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, it was never really about fleshing out the world. It was more so about building a place, you know, that would facilitate the arcs of the characters. Uh-huh. You know, and, and, you know, in some ways, I guess Palisade is, you know, the the Buffy's version of Sunnydale. You know, it's like, it, it's similar in some ways. It's the catalyst for, for the story. That's where, you know, all the things happen, but it's not super important. So that, I guess it would be hard to adapt that into, like. Game because so much of uh, role-playing games, the, the meat of it is in the world and and the, the history mm. and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but I, I think that rash Queens would be an interesting video game. I would love to see it as like you know those old D and D or like Ninja Turtles side-scrolling beat 'em ups.
0: Oh, I love that the old NES uh, Ninja Turtles game was great. Yeah. Um, Well, I think it could work as an RPG. You don't need a lot of uh, uh, places. You just set it in a different bar. And that's (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess so. I I just, I'm curious how it would translate, you know, because a lot of it is really about the characters. So... I, I guess it would be the, in the flavor of, a, you know, if you're doing it in, like, D&D, like, what kind of feats or what kind of skills or, you know, spells, that kind of thing, I guess, is how that would come up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would totally be involved with that. I actually got my start writing writing for role-playing games. Um, oh, really? I My first paid writing gigs were for Fantasy Flight Games uh, probably, hell, I think 12 years ago now. That's a long time ago uh writing for role playing game settings um I guess my first credit would have been fireborn another series was midnight hmm. yes and, and a book called grim so yeah I mean that 's where I got my start and
0: um none of these were french games right
1: no no they're- uh, fantasy play games is an american company they do they 're like the biggest board game company in the states I think they're massive and and they used to do role playing games a lot more now they're much more board game focused but um it's it's an awful job. It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> really.
1: I think I got paid like I think it was 2 or 3 cents a word.
0: Holy shit, that's low. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was abysmal. Uh but you know, as as a really I got the job because I was a fan of one of their settings on a forum and just by writing content eventually they, you know, hired me to do some work. So Well, yeah, whatever. It's kind of a dream at that point, obviously.
0: You're still writing games, though. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, you're writing games, and it's to be paid for It is It's a Mm -hmm. professional credit. I mean, I didn't get paid work, writing work again for, you know, it must have been like six, seven years after that. So it didn't really help me out in the long run, but it was fun.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, when people talk about Rat Queens, they always mention how funny it is. Uh, Is the humor something you really focus on when you're writing the series?
1: Uh, I mean, there has to be... I feel like there has to be some comedy every issue, which doesn't, it doesn't always happen, I guess, but I, I try to have levity in there. I, I think, I think people are really tired of the really heavy, just depressing. No one ever wins. You know, like I guess maybe not entirely. I mean, Game of Thrones seems to do pretty well, but I feel like in comics, it's time to have some kind of levity in comics again. And, yeah, it's really, really important. That's why I have characters like Betty and, and Hannah. Uh, mm-hmm. just to keep things, you know, we, we plan to do some heavier things with the story, but it's, I always want there to be that feeling of like, yeah, just, there's got to be happiness or some kind of joy in the book. And yeah, it's, it's very important for me, but to be honest, I never have it planned. It just kind of happens or doesn't.
0: Well, it seems like it can come right through the characters by just writing them.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is really – it really is like 95% based on who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the comedy wouldn't work if the characters, I guess, didn't – if I hadn't established them already. Um, and, I, and I think that was the struggle with the first issue is I remember a lot of people saying that, oh, he's just trying so hard. He's trying way too hard to be funny. And it's like, well, maybe – But but, you know, like it was a first issue and I I need time to flesh out those personalities so that the humor doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. So um Um,
0: I don't get that. I don't think that's true.
1: Well, you know, it's possible in the first issue because you want you do have to try too hard. You that is your issue to get people to buy the next one. And mm-hmm. so it's, you kind of have to pull out all the stops and be like, this is the product. This is what it's going to be like. And I, I look at that first issue and I, you know, I still go back every time I go down to, to write a new script um, in whatever series I'm working on, you know, Rack Queens or Peter Pan's Fells. I'll go back and read everything again. And I, and I find that that first issue, it's pretty, I feel in, in, in writing wise, it feels different than what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do feel the comedy has evolved a little bit, and it is much more character-based rather than kind of punchline jokes.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do you uh, tell a lot of dick jokes in your life?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mostly with my fiance, it's it's pretty much unending. I don't I don't think I don't know if she's run if she's run out of patience yet, or if she's just giving me those a smile because you know she loves me.
0: Uh, well, you're I, getting married, so that's a good sign. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of those jokes. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I say stuff like that, and, and it's kind of people that I know too. You know, like my, my fiance is just as guilty as I am of some of those those crass uh, bits of dialogue in there. So, um, yeah. Like, I guess it's it's influenced from my own sense of humor.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Rat Queens does an amazing job of uh, representing the diversity of the real world. I mean, not only gender and color, but sexuality and portraying different, more realistic body types. Um, and it seems like people of all kinds have really responded to that. Uh, what does it mean to you to work on a series that breaks down barriers?
1: Well, I think... You know, it's for me it, it, my personal aspect to it is, you know, I grew up I grew up in a fairly conservative Christian family and you know, my family's great and over the years, you know, uh, things have changed and and there's more open-mindedness, but I definitely grew up in a community where a lot of those especially when it comes to sexuality, there was a lot of um, I guess hatred would be the best word for it. Wow. Oh. And, you know, I grew up thinking that the, you know, homosexuality was wrong. And, and I just had no clue. I had no clue about, I never met anybody that was gay or had to go through any of that. And I went, I grew up at a, I went to a Christian school. So, you know, it was very isolated. And then I entered the real world and realized the world isn't so simple. It's not so black and white. And, and interestingly enough, the people's, a few of the people that I went to school with had been gay there all along and had to hide it. And their story was heartbreaking and I could, I could empathize with it. And so for me, it's really about, you know, I guess not really like (laughs) paying my dues, but just it's important because for so long I was so ignorant and now I know, you know, queer people and they're awesome. And I don't feel like their stories are really told. You know, they're not told in a way. Anyway, that's just like, I'm a person, and my sexuality is not doesn't define me, which I find is often so often done. It's just kind of used as a trope, and it's it is. it's sad. It's sad because you know I don't. When I talk with queer friends or trans friends, it's not like they say they have full conversations and and at the end say it's and I did this because I'm trans or I did this because I'm gay it just, it never comes up. It's just, yeah, I know that person is that. And, and, you know, it's, it's not a thing. And I guess that's what was important for me. And then as far as um, body types and that kind of thing, I, I mean, that's a personal thing for me as well. I've always, as a, as a bigger guy struggled with body image and, you know, to have characters that in a book that like, Hey, you know, that guy has the same body as me or for uh, women be like that. You know, that woman uh, has the same body type as me. I'm really thin or I'm really big. I can really, I like that character because I can see myself in her. It's super important. And it's, it's kind of crazy that it's not done on a bigger, on a bigger scale. And, you know, rock is, he's a black artist. And obviously it's just as important to have as many black characters because that's, just the real world (laughs) you know and again it's one of those things that it boggles my mind that it's i I guess we never really thought about it it wasn't like we were going out on a mission it was just like it's funny because a lot of the times i'll write characters and i don't really stipulate what they are like because it's a fantasy world it's an elf or it's a dwarf but that's it and you know a lot of the time they'll come up as like asian or black when rock draws them Mm -hmm. and it's you know that's his influence into the story too so i don't know it kind of just comes about naturally i think because that's what we're passionate about Mm
0: -hmm. well i have to say i'm a little surprised that there's prejudice in canada i thought it was the promised land
1: (laughs) sorry sorry to tell you man we you know we we have we definitely beat you guys when it came to getting you know marriage rights for for gays but uh we still struggle with all the same things with with racism and and bigotry just as much up here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really curious because you said that you grew up in like religious, strict. You know, how do you think that you were able to break away from uh, you know the stereotypes or on just being more uh, becoming more open minded?
1: Just living with people that you know challenged me. I think people that intelligent people that wouldn't just let me. Um, yeah, that they would, they would challenge me on things that I would say or that I would think. Mm -hmm. And, and just life experience, you know, like, uh, I'm not, I'm not a religious person anymore. I I would probably call myself an atheist. Uh, so it's a pretty far, (laughs) far divide from what, from being a conservative Christian. But that Mm -hmm. just comes, that for me just came from living life and, and having experiences and, and reading and trying to figure out getting some answers to why I believed the way I did, not just going along with it. And the more I looked for answers, the more I realized it wasn't for me. And then that just, and then everything changed. You know, if you lose that foundation, then everything's up for grabs as far as what your belief system is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was just really spiraled out of that. And, and then of course meeting, meeting people, um, in particular, in the LGBT community, meeting them because, you know, I had never had any experience with people like that before. And so I'm just meeting them and, and being like, Oh, hey, what do you know? They're just like everybody else. And, you know, it's hard enough in life to find someone to love. You know, how, how are we going to put pressure on them to be anybody but themselves? So yeah, it was just that, I guess, meeting people and realizing that we're all in this shitty boat together.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, let's talk a bit about the main characters, uh, D, Hannah, Violet, and Betty. Um, they all have very unique personalities. Um, so if you were at a party and a friend asked you who they were and what they were like, how would you describe their personality quirks?
1: <sighs> okay, well, Hannah is abrasive and untrusting. Uh, but at the same time, she's very protective, I think, of the people in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Betty is absolutely, um, a loving, almost to a fault, uh, little creature. She gives her heart out, not just like romantically, but to her friends, um, but she's also kind of a live-in-the-moment. Whenever comes my way, I'll do it in regards to pretty much everything in life, but in particular, drugs and, and booze. <laughs> right. Um, Violet is very... She's kind of soft-spoken. She tries to put on like a, a tough act, but she's actually fairly sensitive, and um, she's really trying to find her own way. And so that can kind of... Maybe she tries a little too hard to be an individual. Uh, and Dee is, I would say she's probably the most introverted of the group. And if you were to see her at a party, she would probably be on the far end of the room away from Hannah with her nose in a book trying to avoid any kind of party.
0: Right.
1: Uh, while she struggles to find the meaning of life.
0: <laughs> now, um, given your background, is uh, Dee the character that you would identify with most? <laughs>
1: Yeah, which is weird. I I always say this. It's weird that, you know, a middle-aged white guy identifies most with the 20-year-old black woman from his comic book, but (laughs) I think there is definitely some, some of me in her, especially when it comes to not just the religious aspect, but also the uh, social anxiety aspect. Uh, That's definitely me. That's, that's definitely, it's funny because Rock is very much the opposite. He's, very sociable he likes crowds of people he, he's into that so he's Betty yeah he definitely is he definitely is uh, so you know if we go to a, a party situation at a convention together you know he's rare to go and I'm just like I walk in two minutes I'm like okay I'm out and I'll you know I'll leave I'll go to the quiet of my hotel room and for me that's a lot more fun
0: <laughs> well you have a little bit in it because you did meet rock you know just on the street <laughs> right so you you yeah. can uh, play a different role
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> All right, well the character interactions in Rat Queens are to me like fantasy versions of what happens on HBO shows like Girls or Sex in the City on um, that times. Were you going for that kind of um 20 something female drama like those shows by casting the four women?
1: Uh Yeah, I I mean I guess so. I don't think it was ever I think actually when I pitched the idea to Rock, I did say Sex in the City in Lord of the Rings world, but that was really just to like give him the, the basest of ideas. You know, I, I really wanted it to be about a group of friends that just happen to kill things for a living and, and and make good money doing it. I think the, the best thing that I can relate it to is in Canada we have, we call, it's not really a flattering term, but we call these people rig pigs. <laughs> and they're usually 18- to 20-year-old guys that go work in the oil fields for summer, and they make, in three or four months, they make like $150,000. It's crazy. Wow. And they have no life experience, and they have a shitload of money. And they just basically self-destruct. Like, they, they buy ridiculously expensive trucks, they do a bunch of drugs, and basically burn out in a few months. And really, that was kind of the inspiration for these characters, because they are in a similar place they're young they don't have a lot of life experience Mm -hmm. they're doing a job that not many people want to do and they're making a lot of money doing it so like what do they do with that they party they get into a lot of fights they smash things they're generally a nuisance um so it's interesting that's kind of more the the inspiration is seeing those people knowing those people uh but then as far as the dialogue really it was just trying to emulate friendships Mm-hmm. When you were twenty. Like what what kind of things you said to your friends, you know, male or female when you were twenty years old? And um yeah, I mean it's been a long time since I've been twenty years old, but you know, I remember the things we used to joke about and yeah, that's definitely <laughs> where that comes from. Was it
0: hard to get into that mindset
1: of uh, a younger you? Yeah, I don't like going there if I don't have to. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. And then also just people that I know. I, for whatever reason, I, I seem to hang out with, uh, you know, people in their early twenties. And I don't know if that's just the creative community here in Vancouver. There's a lot of younger people. Um, so I, I guess I'm around it still a little bit.
0: Well, that's good though. That's gotta help.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Well, uh, the rat queens seem like they'd be a lot of fun to party with as long as you don't piss them off. If they were in our world, what place do you think they'd call home and where would they likely cause trouble?
1: Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think. That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Hannah would be somewhere in like a a crummy part of London somewhere. Uh, maybe not necessarily from there originally, but that's where she'd settle. Uh, she would probably like the punk scene. Mm. hmm and she would probably be at some kind of punk bar getting in fights. Um, Betty, Betty's, la, I'd say she'd probably hang out in some place like, I think she'd hang out in North America, maybe in Canada.
0: <laughs> right where you are.
1: Yeah, where I am, <laughs> basically out in the woods. Um, yeah, just kind of hanging out with like anybody that comes along. I kind of feel like that about about where I live you know in Vancouver mm-hmm. you can kind of hang out with anybody it's kind of an open you, you know creative people hang out with creative people or not it's just kind of you know people find friends where they do mm-hmm. um I really want
0: to go to Vancouver it's definitely on my list
1: you should do it it's it's awesome it's beautiful and it, it doesn't snow here uh i mean for today if it's absolutely sunny and warm outside and where i used to live before i moved to the west coast which is kind of the midwest and canada uh it's already snowing and probably freezing so
0: (laughs) i live in chicago and before that i lived (laughs) in uh, central new york and syracuse and buffalo so i'm used to it being Uh, cold and yeah, yeah
1: yeah definitely uh violet i would guess would be I think she'd still be travel, I think she would be somebody with a backpack on her back and, and, you know, try doing like the, the traveling around the world, doing the round the world trip and, and trying to find herself. Um, and D, I think she'd just try to find the opposite end of where her family was. So wherever they were, she'd be on the other end of the world mm-hmm. and, um, probably in a library somewhere. <laughs>
0: Well, you've really started to flesh out the backgrounds uh, of your characters. Um, the current arc uh, delves into D and her past history with the uh, cult, and you find out (spoiler) that she's married. Yeah. What are you trying to do uh, with D? You know, what what is it about her past that you are trying to convey by having her run away from it? Uh, it
1: really, is based on my own experiences. You know, um, one of the lines that she says is that. You know, she's wanted answers, but the answers are never there. Um, And basically, uh, you know, the line, I can't remember exactly what it is, but basically it's like, you know, having doubts doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Uh, It just means that, you know, you need more than what is unavailable for answer. And so she's, she's going to find those answers, and she has. She really has. I mean, she's still struggles she still clearly is connected to her people cuz she still wears you know a lot of the symbols and and it's still part of who she is but on a fundamental level she doesn't believe it and mm. she does she really doesn't want to believe it and so we're dealing we're you know issue 8 was a bit of a break with Violet's background but issue 9 and 10 we're going to be coming right back into it and it, it's there's something that's going to happen that's going to force D to it's going to be an answer that she's searching for and it's going to massively impact her in the future. So, um, yeah, she's basically looking for answers and she's going to get one and how she deals with it. That's kind of the important thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned, uh, the violet flashback and, um, I love that. It reminded me of uh, the film Brave and that she was bored, you know, being ladylike. She was a, a, basically a model uh, and she wanted more adventure and violence in her life. Um, and also she had an immaculate beard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what did you want to get across about Violet by showing this rebellious past and that issue?
1: Um, You know, it was. I think some people have equated it to um uh, like kind of a, I guess it is feminist in a way, but it's it's not like I really wanted to make it seem like her family wasn't. It wasn't like because you're a woman you have to do these things. In fact, one of the things that a lot of people haven't really noticed, but in the scene where she's with her brother and you know they're kind of bickering back and forth at each other uh, with their dad, um, he's actually wearing eye makeup too, and there's. There's not a really, in, at least in my version of this, in the Dwarven community, there's not a defined gender role. Mm-hmm. It's just that Violet has, she's, that's what she's done. She's done the modeling and her brother has, has done the fighting. It's been that way forever. It could have easily have been the other way. Uh, it just, just didn't fall that way. And it wasn't anything to do with gender. It was just to do with, well, this is what we've done and that's the tradition. Mm-hmm. And that's, we, we can break that now. And she just, it's not so much about like, well, I'm stuck in this world where women aren't respected. It's more like I'm stuck in this tradition and it's so ridiculous that you can't just change it. Like, why can't we just swap roles? It's so stupid. And that frustrates her and frustrates her and frustrates her. And and then, you know, I guess we do touch on it with that orc or with that dwarf that makes comments about her. Um, but it's just a reminder that, Nothing has changed in her life there. It's just stay every year. This happens to her. Um, and so yeah, she is totally inspired by, uh, the middle aged mom who's just like, I don't really give a shit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and that was, that was her inspiration to be like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. And, you know, that's a big deal for someone to realize that because it's sometimes you live so long in a situation and and I can speak to that myself. I was, I was married for quite a long time to somebody and it never entered my mind that I didn't have to be. (laughs) And, and one day when I realized that I was like, I have a choice in my happiness, then, you know, then you can make those changes if you want to. So that, that's really what the issue is about is Violet realizing that she had a choice in her life and she clearly wasn't taking it. Mm -hmm. And it was Morgan that, made that, made that ideal available to her.
0: And I love that scene with the, uh, with Morgan. Cause you also get in that issue, the, the origin of the rat queen's name, because she, yeah. uh, she mentions that rats are the harbingers of impending destruction. I think. Yeah. Why did you uh, wait until that issue to, you know, give the origin of the name? Cause I remember thinking when I first picked up the book, I'm like, why are they called rat queens? Why are they called? What, where did this name come from? <laughs> why did you want to wait to uh, do that reveal?
1: Uh, it just, it didn't, as I was writing it, it didn't have a natural, I really wanted to wait until there, there was a natural way that I could come into the conversation. Um, and I guess I, there, it's the old adage of, you know, show don't tell. So it could have been a scene where they're like, well, this is how we got our name. And it's just like, that didn't have the same, I think, emotional impact as seeing the person that inspired it. Mm-hmm. And not so much being like, well, yeah, we named ourselves Rat Queens because I knew this woman who was awesome. It's like (laughs) you, you see it and then you see Violet's reaction to that and how much it meant to her. And that gives the name more meaning, you know, without having to say much.
0: Yeah. No, it was perfect. I, I love that. I loved it. Um, so was Rat Queens always the name of the book?
1: Uh, no, we had it. It was called something else. Uh, when we were, When we were doing the web version, uh, it actually used to be—oh, god! Used to be called—used to be called Pussy Rats. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow, that's bold.
1: Yeah, we thought it was a clever play on Pussy Cats, uh, but we just knew there was no way that would ever be put on a shelf. But you know what? Like now that books like Sex Criminals and Bitch Planet are on the shelf, I mean. I mean, I, I'm not a Kelly Sue DeConnick or a Matt Fraction, but I think there's leeway now. But at the same time, we just didn't really want to. We wanted the book to succeed, and we truthfully didn't think it would do well at the beginning. We're like, no, you know, it's first of all, it's a fantasy book, right. which is kind of a striking. Answer. It's second of all, it's got four female lead characters, which is always, you know, you just never know how that's gonna go. And to make it worse, it's written by and drawn by two guys, which is like, I roll. You know, I roll central when it comes to, like, there's, oh, it's going to be cheesecake and it's going to be this and that. Um, but we wanted to give the book the best shot that we had. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. where that came from.
0: Well, the Pussy Rats is on another level. It's, that's way beyond sex criminals, dude. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, getting back uh, to Violet, uh, one of the things I really liked was that you had that scene with her and Ork Dave just hooking up for uh, an evening um yeah i just i kind of like the idea that it's okay for you know a woman to have fun if she wants you know without being shamed for it you know is that something that uh, you considered when you uh write these characters
1: yeah definitely uh i would i would definitely call myself a feminist and i think i'm pretty tired of the double standard that it's it's super cool for a guy to just have uh you know just random sex but if girl does it then it makes her lesser it's complete bullshit um so i just wanted to create a world where that, that kind of stuff just doesn't matter right you know like if people hook up it's fine there's no you know there's no shame there's no you know both parties are into it there's no guilt and you know the same thing with with queer characters or trans characters uh it it's just that's just the world it's just it's cool mm-hmm. and for me that's that is like that is like oh, it, it can be almost utopian in a way is like if, if we could actually get to that point that would be amazing um so yeah that's that is i think if, if there's anything that defines the world outside of it just being a traditional fantasy is that it's that right, right. is that the, that it's it's just a little bit more understanding and, and open-minded i guess well we've
0: also been seeing some pretty intriguing character moments from Hannah and how her emotions inform her powers. Will we be seeing more of her history and um, how those powers work?
1: Yeah, the next... So after we wrap this one, the next one's all about her and her past. Um, in issue... Uh, I think is it 10? Issue 10, uh, we finally get a little bit more about her and Tizzy, what their beef is with each other. All right. Uh, and then into the next arc is all about Hannah's past about her family being necromancers. Um, and basically, yeah, uh, why, why her and Tizzy are, are, basically always strangling each other when they see each other. Uh, and it's all tied in together. And, and there's a hint in issue six where, uh, Tizzy says, you know, that she's, she's not going to let her do this again. um, I it's tied into that whole thing where Hannah kind of goes goes dark, right. and uh, channels this this sort of power. Tizzy calls it you're you're channeling Necreus again. You, well, how can you be doing that? Haven't you learned a thing? And so yeah, so so Tizzy knows about that power, mm-hmm. uh, and and clearly it's been used to bad effect before around her. So we'll be getting into all that and, and where it comes from and and ultimately what it means for her character.
0: Yeah, I loved it because it's like a dark willow from Buffy. Reminded me of that a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely an influence.
0: <laughs> well, uh, uh, the other thing that's interesting about Hannah, is she has this on-again, off-again relationship with Sawyer. They seem to have a deeper relationship from before. We don't really know what the past is yet, but I just assume that. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends that are like that, that they just keep going back, you know, and then breaking up. I know you'll probably get to what happened between them, but is this kind of undefined relationship something that, you know, you've seen in other people or experienced yourself?
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of inspired by, you know, people. Yeah. It's inspired by people that I know. And it's, it's this weird thing where, you know, they, they, they know. Like intellectually, they know that it's just a disaster, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, their heart or their emotions just can't, can't cut it clean and break loose from that. And, um, so yeah, I really, I think it's a really on, it's honestly a really fascinating thing because, you know, when you're outside looking at what's happening, it's like, you idiot, like, (laughs) it's so obvious. What are you doing? (laughs) It's going to happen again. Right. And, but when you're in it, cause I've definitely been there before, and when you're in it, you're like, no, 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 this time, like, it's, it is different this time, you don't understand. And it's, it's just complete psychosis, like, there's no, there's no rationality to it, and I really wanted to explore that, and, and I thought it would be interesting to have, you know, a, a main character that w- is in that, but isn't the person that really is the one that keeps going back, but is the instigator that, and we've hinted at it a little bit, but Hannah's definitely the instigator when it comes to, you know, Sawyer probably should have moved on a long time ago, but she keeps bringing him back. Right,
0: right. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Well, it's since you've been putting the spotlight on all the characters, I'm also interested in seeing uh, Betty's past smidgen life. So are there plans to get to that anytime soon?
1: Um, not not soon, no. Um, I mean, I fully know what her background is. It's just, it hasn't, it's not the right time yet. Mm-hmm. It will, I, I, I foresee her background coming in probably around, so the next arc will be issues 12 to 16, probably like 17 to 22. It'll be in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like I said, the next arc is is all about Hannah, and there's a pretty significant thing that happens there in that arc that will affect Betty and we'll be able to focus on her more as a kid. Because right now, she is, she's pretty prevalent in the story, but we really don't know a lot about her at all, actually. She's never talked about her family, she's never talked about her past. All you really know is she's kind of got this sort of thing going with Fairy and, and and she's she's really rambunctious and, and, you know, she's for me, she's the best way to tell a good joke. Mm -hmm. She just seems to have, she just has the ability to, I don't know, just her character is, it makes it easy to be funny with her. So, uh, but yeah, she, I, I do want to delve more into her and, uh, you know, I hint at it in that scene, uh, in, I think it's issue six where they're up, where he, she calls Hannah into the tree and she's like, what was that all about with the black eyes thing? and, you get that sense that she really, really loves her friends deeply. And, uh, like I said earlier in the interview, it's, it can be to a fault. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, maybe she could be like the manager of the goblinettes in the past.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I use that, I'll, I'll give you a royalty.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in that because she does really care about her friends, you know, and, um, you know, that has to come from someplace. So, yeah, like we were talking about with the, uh, uh, with the reveal about the Rat Queen's name, that was the right time to do it. So I'm sure right. Betty will have her chance.
1: I think, I think Betty, it's safe to say that Betty is pretty much the only one without like some kind of ridiculous family past. Like she comes from probably the most normal people, the most chilled out. Mm-hmm. Her, her, her family life was good and she's the one person in the group that has a stable background. But her, you know, her journey from her family to where she is now is an interesting one.
0: Yeah, no, I totally picture like coming from the shire. <laughs> something you know where it's just all merriment and uh fun and 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 ale.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good assumption.
0: Um okay, well, something that occurred to me um when I was rereading uh, Rat Queens was that they're always in peril, <laughs> a couple of them almost died a couple times. Is there any chance that we're going to see new characters join the Rat Queens or that, you know, some of them might eventually die?
1: Uh yes.
0: yeah you know you get so involved in those characters because i love all of them you know but it seems like you there could be room for somebody else to come in and join or for somebody to leave
1: yeah yeah i mean we're definitely setting all that stuff up now it's of course at this point it's really subtle um but there are certain characters that are not part of the queens that get a bit more attention um and though, yes, the plan is definitely to – the Rat Queens as you know them now, it's it's not always going to be the same. The Rat Queens cast can and will change. Wow.
0: All right, great. Well, you mentioned that um, – how Rat Queens landed at Image. Um, and now you've done um, – I think you've done like six series at Image now. So what has it been like to work with them on your books?
1: Uh, it's really good. Uh, you know, with Image – your story is your own. So whatever you want to do with it, they do not stand in the way of it. Um, as long as the quality is good and, and, uh, you know, you're putting your best effort forth, they, they let you do it. I mean, that's pretty clear from the books that are coming out of content wise, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not really any, they don't edit you as far as, you know, the rating would be concerned. Um, and then with me in particular, most of my series after Intrepid's was with Image Shadowline, which is Jim Valentino's imprint. And, uh, you know, Jim is much, much more hands-on, uh, you know, which is, is good because a lot of that, you know, he sends out the reminders, this is due this day. And, and so you don't have to worry about all that yourself. He's, he's very much about keeping you on task. And, um, yeah, he's just much more involved, which, which does make things a lot easier. So. Yeah, I've I've nothing but good things to say. Great.
0: Well, creator-owned comics have really taken off in the last couple of years and Image has grown to become a huge force in comics. So, what are your thoughts on the trend toward creator-owned books and uh and Image's role in it?
1: I think it's just I think because the medium itself has gotten a whole new um a whole new readership and I I would say that it, it it's quite possible because of television shows that are based on them that people are, you know, like agents of shield and in all the marvel movies and, and the walking dead people are probably like, "Oh, this is based on a comic." They will go to the comic store for that and they will buy their copies of the walking dead, but you know, store people might be like, "Hey, why don't you try this if you like this and and it mm-hmm. opens up opens up that new readership." And I think also maybe people are tired of The events and, the you know, the rehash storylines and there's no there's no real stakes, I think, in my opinion, when it comes to to Marvel characters or DC characters, just because, you know, that they can't really die or there's, you know, the, the most you can do is maybe change something about that character a little bit and. Eventually, it's just going to kind of come back to the way it was. And then maybe people are just like, I want a story that actually is going to matter in the end. Mm -hmm. And
0: the ultimate universe, I think people stay dead, but for everything else, that's true.
1: Yeah. And I think people, you know, people just want it. It's a weird time in entertainment in general. I think, you know, I look back 10 years ago and even television was a completely rehashed. The same kinds of shows were coming out and people weren't into the long form drama storytelling. And then Lost came along and kind of changed that, that people were willing to come back every week for the characters and this long form storytelling that it really hadn't been done since I'd say like Twin Peaks. And, you know, a show that came out not long before that, like Carnival, which had this huge, huge mythology and and like massive world building and, and awesome characters. That show couldn't make it, and I think if that show came out now, it would, because something like Game of Thrones can make it.
0: Yeah, I like, I love that Carnival show.
1: it's one of my favorite HBO shows ever. And and the fact that Game of Thrones is not only a similar kind of long form—you have to come back every week, and you're not going to get any closure for a full season. (laughs) And on top of that, it's a fantasy story. I mean, it's it's mostly medieval, but there's fantasy elements. So the fact that that show can survive now, um it just tells you that that things are changing and i think that's in general people want something new they want new characters new stories with stakes that matter you know in in our world in rat queens if we kill a character that's it there's no even in this fantasy world there's no coming back from the dead and to try to mess with that has serious consequences so you know it's um
0: no necromancy in your world
1: Oh, there's necromancy. That, that's that's what I mean, though. You can bring you can bring people back from the dead, but they're not them anymore. They're right. something else. Okay.
0: You know, I'm not really sure when Rat Queens became a hit. You guys had good numbers, I think, on it right away, but it didn't feel like people had heard about the book when it first dropped. I know I didn't at first. So um, then all of a sudden, people seemed to find it. Were you ever worried that it, it wasn't going to find its audience?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I thought I never thought I would find one to be honest with you. I
0: well, you didn't I, even want to pitch it to Image at first.
1: Yeah, I honestly thought, you know, because I, I know roughly what you know now. Looking at the numbers, I know what Skullkicker sold, and I was like, you know what, if we can get that number, because Skullkickers is a fantasy book too, and um, I thought it might kind of have the same style of fan base and uh so i would have been happy if we'd even got those numbers and then when the pre then the you know the pre-orders came in i was like oh okay holy shit uh it was it was way higher than i ever ever had expected and of course you know with image number ones they always sell double what they do with issue ones and they with continued numbers so but we managed to like in the last few issues our numbers keep going up and it's it's just this word of mouth, but I expected this thing to fail horribly. But I, I, I expect that for pretty much anything that I do. I'm, I'm a real <laughs> real cynical, cynical guy.
0: <laughs> Be happier, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> so you've uh, received a lot of attention for your writing since you broke into the industry. Um, your current books, Peter Panzerfaust and Rat Queens, both have garnered a lot of critical acclaim and loyal reader following, so... Many issues have sold out, and you guys were even nominated for a 2014 Eisner Award for Best New Series. Yeah. So, what has it been like uh, for you to be recognized for your writing uh, on these series?
1: I mean, obviously, it's it's a real. It was. I was definitely honored and massively surprised <laughs> that Rat Queens was nominated for an Eisner. It, to me, it just like it seemed really weird because I, I don't know. Have you ever seen the show Trailer Park Boys? No. Well, it's basically like a kind of a Canadian redneck trailer trash crime comedy (laughs) TV series. It's like, it's like I love it, but it's so trashy, like just so much swearing and cussing and 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 drug use. It's it's not a show that you would. It's basically Rat Queens getting the Eisers like that show being nominated for an Emmy. (laughs) Like it's to me, it was just completely ridiculous. But um. You know, I, you know, I'm maybe discrediting the book a bit, but I think because we're dealing with characters that people really identify with, that's, that's really what it is. I mean, it's the theme, the themes of the story that are important, not necessarily, you know, the, the, the dick jokes and the, and the fucktart jokes. Um, No,
0: no, it's the emotional connection to the characters and the fun, the fun of the series, because you don't get a lot of series that are like that.
1: Yeah. So I think yeah, so when we got that nomination I I was definitely surprised and it's nice it's nice to have your work recognized but um yeah, I don't know. I think it's just given me more ambition to make it better and and, and just to know that the book matters to somebody beyond myself and rock <laughs> and that it that it actually means something to people to have have fans email and, and say that our characters have given them confidence. And, you know, I, I, we had one, Some somebody on Tumblr messaged Rock and said, you know, because of the way you draw these women, uh, it's given me confidence to put on a bikini for the first time. Like, wow, j- just that, that to me is, is crazy. And as I said earlier, somebody that's struggled so much with um, body image that to give somebody that confidence, it's... I think that really is kind of the win for me. Yeah. And Eisner would, would have been awesome. But like to know that one person out there has felt better about themselves, even just a little bit, that's, I mean, there's no words.
0: Well, and you and Rock are, are very involved with the fans of the book. You have that community called the Rat Queen Social Club where you do the video conferences with people and take questions. Yeah. Um, can you talk about how that developed?
1: Uh, it was, I think it was after the third third issue and we had, i think because the book like you said it, it seemed like nobody had heard of it and we had this there was just this group of mostly young women that were just crazy about the book and were telling everybody about it. and i i actually really believe that we owe that small group of women everything because they they were the ones that got this started and and we're talking about it everywhere and tweeting about it. And it was interesting because it was always a conversation, you know, that we would have with them on Tumblr or Twitter. It was, we would talk with them and I was just like, well, why don't, like, I really appreciate what they're doing. So why don't we just have a conversation with them? And it really came out of that, that, you know, I think our first one had like 10 people and it was like mostly those people that were the early champions of the book and mm-hmm. who continue to, be really, really important to me, especially um, for what they've done. You know, the people that did the cosplay early and, and you were just everywhere with it. So it was really out of that, just to be like you know what they've done so much, and it'd be really nice to talk to them if they have questions. Just be right there to answer them. And being, you know, the the fan part has always been um, a big part of this book for us. We really enjoy working on it, but there's also this aspect where you know, we, we really want to engage our fans because they're the ones that are allowing us to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, have the fans influenced any story ideas in uh, Rat Queens at all?
1: Uh, <laughs> I guess in a way they have. Like, they haven't given us story ideas, but response to certain things have definitely changed where things have gone. Like, for instance, originally, uh, the four Daves are supposed to die in the second issue. Oh, really? Or in the first issue. Yeah. They were basically a one-off joke and like, Mm -hmm. it was like four days. I'm like, that's kind of funny. So that was like the off they go, the four Daves. They were really in the original version, they were supposed to die. And that was like, it was that you'd be introduced. You'd laugh a little bit about the four Daves, and that'd be it. And then I remember seeing some of the tweets when the book first came out, people were like hashtagging team four Daves. And I was like, Oh, people really like those guys. And so I mean I really liked them too, but I just thought like what the hell am I going to do with these characters? <laughs> uh, and then and then sure enough like they've become they they show up a few times now since then and they they show up again uh, in in this this arc as well. So they've become characters that probably would have died because the fans really liked them.
0: <laughs> so they might never die then four days forever.
1: Well, and, and the truth is is that the four Daves never really can die because all they need to do is find another Dave.
0: <laughs> That's a great point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned cosplay. It seems like a lot more people are cosplaying the Rat Queens. How does it feel to see people who care enough to dress up as your characters?
1: Yeah, it's still... Even though I've seen probably a hundred Hannahs, everyone is still like, it's so cool because everyone has their own take on it and mm-hmm. everyone has a different style or a different body type and they're all still Hannah, but they're all their own version, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just doesn't get old. I, I love it. And, and uh, I get excited every time I meet somebody or, you know, someone emails us pictures and I, you know, I try to post them as much as I can. It's, it's definitely part of what rat Queens is. Is that, that aspect is, is the cosplaying community and the fan base. It's, it's all part of what Wreck Queens is. Wreck Queens isn't, in my mind, just the comic. It's really about everyone that is, that chooses to involve themselves with it. It it has become this community and, uh, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to embrace that because it makes it so much more fun and more personal for me, you know, to be able to see people, you know, there's people that I see now. When I, if I do signings in the East Coast in the States or the West Coast that I see every time I go there and, you know, I I know their faces, I know their names. And mm-hmm. you can't, it's weird because you can't, I mean, I don't think a lot of people can can say that. You know, somebody that's that's been writing, you know, it, a writer's been working on a certain Marvel project for four or five years. A lot of people don't really connect the name with the series, if you know what I mean. Right. But, like, with Rat Queens, like, the fans that know me know that i have connected to it. And it's just, like, I'm part of it. I'm part of it. And that's, I don't know, it just makes it a bit more intimate. And, yeah, so, I mean, we've done things, like, last year, or this, I guess, technically this year, 2014, at Emerald City Comic Con. We had a Rat Queens after party. And, yeah, we just did, like, a fundraiser for Gay City in Seattle. And that was, like, awesome. So many people came out to that. Uh, and I guess that's what the, with the series, that's one thing I, I'm just continually surprised. You know, when they, when I booked the venue, they were like, well, how many people do you expect to come out? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm going to have about 10 friends of my own and then maybe like 20 people. So like 30, 35. Mm-hmm. And about an hour and a half in, they couldn't, they were turning people away at the door. It was, wow. it was incredible. It was just absolutely <laughs> packed in there. <laughs> um, that's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, we managed to raise like 1500 bucks for the charity. And I thought if we were lucky, we would make, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So it was massive. Um, yeah. So now we're, we're planning, we're going to do it again next year. And we're also planning a a rack, an actual Rack Queens, but we're calling it Rack Queens Social Con, which is basically just like a fan. We're going to organize a fan meetup in Vancouver, uh, in in Maine next year. So just, just doing anything to like be part of that community and to in some way give back. And be like, we really
0: appreciate this. Mm-hmm. The con is a great idea because I um I don't like going to cons that much because it's become more about commercialization of comics, like TVs and movies, and they're just so huge. Um, but there are a few cons that I've gone to that I really enjoy. Like I went to Morrison Con oh,
1: yeah. and
0: uh, Fable town and Beyond, and it's really it's all about the community where you actually get together with people and you play games. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you're interacting with all the creators on a, a more social level. So I really, I think this is a good idea for you to do this social con. It's way more, um, personal.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, I feel like at conventions, there's always this weird, um, you know, like I'm on the other side of the table and, and it makes it maybe sometimes like people get anxiety about it and, and they get nervous. Um, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, they feel like, they want to talk to you, but there's, like, this time pressure because there's other people around. And and I, I know that I felt that way as a fan before I was a writer, that I would didn't want to feel like I was wasting their time. And so I think just to remove that element, and that's why we did the after party, is that, you know, yeah, you can come get stuff signed by us at the show. But in the evening, we're just, like, we'll get together, we'll hang out, and this is kind of how we're going to show we appreciate you as fans. And there's no table between us anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you've also been really active in creating an apparel line for Rat Queens that seems to be selling well. Uh right now you got the one shirt for men, uh but you have a variety of stuff that's geared towards women. So, uh, what went into developing such a cool line?
1: That was entirely my fiance's idea.
0: Oh, so really? So she
1: she actually has done all of that, the website, getting the clothing designed. Um she's a one-woman show, which which is crazy because for she was pregnant the entire time she was putting everything together oh, wow. and like was doing, I, I helped her obviously near the end when she, you know, she was like eight months pregnant, but she, a lot of our stuff we have um, in a warehouse in the States. So it's about an hour drive for us. Mm-hmm. And she was doing stuff a week before her due date. We went down across the border did like a bunch of packaging and everything before, you know, a week before she was due. <laughs> so, so she's she's been, you know, pretty, yeah, you know, working pretty hard to keep that. It's yeah, it was all her idea, and, and she just saw a massive empty space for clothing that was, you know, I guess of the geek variety that was hot for women mm-hmm. you know there is shirts for women but they're basically just men's t-shirts you know what i mean right and so there wasn't like really you know cool styled women's clothing uh, available and so she she used to work in in fashion so she just started looking into it and then i said you know what go for it if you can find manufacturers if you you know i fully support it and rockfully supported it and yeah she's uh I always doing new stuff with it, and you know, obviously things have slowed down a bit now that we have a kid, and, and her time is just not so much time. Um, but yeah, that's it was just it because we had such a strong female fan base, and because people were asking for merch of some kind. I mean, we did do the one men's shirt, but that was kind of just like that. That was separate. She didn't do that. That was we did that through the publisher through Image. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, we'll get it. We'll get those shirts out there. If people want them, they're available. Um, but we're like the female fans have really been the ones that have championed the book and we want to do something for them. And that's really where it came from. And there was definitely a need. So that's I think fantastic. it was just the right, the right time, the right idea at the right time. hmm
0: Uh, well, given the popularity of, uh, of your books, I'm sure Marvel and DC and some of the other big companies have contacted you about writing their properties. Do you have any desire to work on mainstream superhero titles or do you just plan to continue doing creator owned books?
1: I, I actually haven't been contacted that much. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, I was contacted uh, maybe two years ago for, for like a Batman thing that I just like, I'd never really heard back about. Um, and I did do a Marvel short a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It was like a crisp. It was like a Christmas thing. I don't know. So I, I periodically will email them and be like, if you're looking for anyone, but so I definitely wouldn't say no, there's not really any mainstream characters that I'd be interested in writing. I think I'd primarily want to try my hand at some Marvel ones that like nobody would really do. Like, I, ha- I have this idea for a, uh, kind of like a D-list character, uh, Damien Hellstrom and Satana, but it would be like, it'd be like them going out and hunting monsters. It'd basically be like the pair of them meets Supernatural.
0: I just thought of Supernatural when you said yeah, that.
1: Yeah, it, it, w- it would be like that, but with Damien Hellstrom and Satana, brother and sister hitting the road. With a cool car? Yeah, with a cool car fighting monsters. So, I don't know. The- so stuff like that, stuff that nobody would want to read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would read that for sure. I love. I have an a affection for uh, Hellstrom because uh, Warren Ellis wrote him way, way back in the day, and I, I really like his storytelling.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's. I would kind of want to work with some of the weirder characters. Um, but yeah, there hasn't been really that much interest in what in my work so far. But that's you know what that's fine. Like I'm, <laughs> I didn't grow up read. I didn't. I didn't really. Read Marvel or DC growing up. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that it's been like that was, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, other, other writers and artists who have been reading comics since they were five and Marvel and DC is like, that was, if they could write that, that's where they were always headed with their career. Whereas I didn't read them growing up. So I'd be like, yeah, that'd be really awesome if I could do that. But it's never been a trajectory I've, I've aimed for as like, that's it. That's when I know I've, I've got my goal. For me, it's just like, I've always wanted to just tell stories and it just happens to work best in independent. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Now, uh, are you, you're writing full time now, right? You, uh, has the success of your books allowed you to uh, do that full time?
1: Um, yes. And no, like I've been writing professionally for four years, uh, three years, I guess. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a good year and sometimes it's not, I've had to take other work, but it's always writing related work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I've taken, I've done kind of indie video game writing before. I've done work here for, in a, for a smaller studio, uh, what are they called? They change their name. They're called Fathom Interactive. They do, uh, mobile games and stuff like that. I've done a lot of world building and writing for them. Uh, I worked for Black Test Studios, which is, uh, the Microsoft game developer, uh, here in Vancouver. I, mm-hmm. I wrote for them for six months. So I've done a little bit of everything, you know, uh, I mean, the Black Tusk thing was just for the experience, to see what it would be like to write a AAA game. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's I, it, it's not all comics. I couldn't, I couldn't live primarily on comics. Sometimes I have to take work here or there. But I'm getting to the point where I could focus on comics full-time, mm-hmm. which is nice.
0: Well, Rat Queens is also being developed as a 30-minute animated TV show. I mean, would you be writing for that show?
1: Yeah, that's the plan. That's something that I, I would like, you know, as, as part of the deal to be able to at least be in the writer's room. Um, you know, like I feel like, you know, Peter Panzerfels is another one that's in development. And mm. I think that idea is broad enough that really they, they could do what they wanted and I wouldn't have to be that involved. Um, but I feel like Rat Queens is really specific and. Mm. I mean, you could do it, but I feel like the comedy is is very inherent in how I write them. Uh, so I feel, I really would be, uh, I I would be pretty adamant about being involved on the writing front. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, you never know. These things take so long to develop and if they ever develop at all. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, how how did that show even come about?
1: Uh, the, the same guy who optioned Peter Panzerfaust's, um, he optioned Rat Queens, and he's got a lot of connections, and somehow it ended up in Peter Jackson's hands. I guess he organized it and apparently he loved it. So they weighed as the one that kind of instigated things, and then they prototyped stuff out, and they budgeted stuff, and they said, okay, this is what we think we can do. And eventually they came up with the animated show. From what I, what I understand, they'd also talked about doing a live action, but the budget would have been way too high for them to be able to capture exactly what we wanted, what we were doing in the comic and they wanted to maintain that tone exactly. Right. Um. So they went with the route that they did. So that, that I like that. I mean, That's I'm, good I'm news. appreciative that they want to keep it exactly as it is without toning it down.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can see how you would want to be involved in it. Cause it definitely seems like it comes from, you know, you, your voice, um one of the things I really appreciate about your writing, one of the many things is that um you throw a lot of curveballs into the book. I mean, the first arc, it seemed like it was building towards this traditional smackdown uh where there would be assassins, but it didn't really work out that way. Um <laughs> <laughs> you kind of uh, subverted the traditional storytelling. Right. You know, is that something that you enjoyed doing?
1: Yeah, that, that was I think one of my favorite parts about the first arc is that I think there was this expectation because I remember a a lot of the early reviews were saying, you know, really like the characters, the comedy is really good, but the story is very, you know, cookie cutter. It's about these assassins yawn. We've seen this a hundred times before. And I, and I (laughs) knew it, I knew full well that that's, that's very cookie cutter. Uh, and that's why like, was it issue three or four? That entire assassin thing went right out the window. It was just like, no, or that was that we're moving on. We're now it's trolls are trying to destroy this town. Um, and the real plot was the fact that they accidentally killed this troll. That's what came into play later, right. Um, uh, which of course was all just kind of window dressing for what was really going on. And it was, uh, to do with, uh, Garrick Lake, the, the merchant guild leader. Um, he was really the villain, but nobody saw him until the very end of the, of the first arc. So.
0: Right. That's something that I would like to see in the television show. I'd like to see you in the, the room there to make sure that that stuff gets in.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, I, it's really important and I, and I hope that I can be as involved as, as they've said I will be, so.
0: Alright. Do you have any, uh, plans for new comics, uh, in, uh, 2015 or are you just going to continue doing these two books?
1: Uh, I have, so Peter Panzerfeld wraps up next year, uh, with issue 25. And uh, so I have a new series coming out after that, uh, with can't really announce the title yet because it hasn't been shown up in uh, previews or anything. But mm-hmm. it's with Johnny Christmas who does Sheltered right. at Image. Uh So we're doing a book together. We're doing uh, uh, it's like a science fiction horror series. Cool. So kind of a return to my Green Wake style of writing, which I haven't done for a while. I've been doing a lot more. Um, I guess light hearted stuff. Well, I guess Peter Pan's bros is kind of heavy, but a uh, much more like visceral, weird, visual horror story. So that's pretty much it for next year, as far as I know. Uh, so I'll be continuing doing Rat Queens and then also um, this new series.
0: Mm-hmm. How long do you plan to uh, do Rat Queens for? Do you have a, an ending in mind for that book? Uh,
1: no, no, I don't. I mean, we have arcs planned. We have character trajectories kind of all like this is what's going to happen. We know we, it's really we know the character stories and honestly, the plots are going to follow around what we want to do with the characters. And we've kind of always said that if we start feeling like we're not saying anything new or doing anything interesting with the characters, we'll probably call it quits. But um, there's not any one story that I see being the end point.
0: Mm hmm. Last question, you know, what can readers expect in the upcoming issues? I saw that you're going to be featuring a guest artist soon. What can uh, people look forward to in the coming issues?
1: So we have uh, the rest of this arc, Issue 9 and 10, uh, is going to be – we're going to dive right back into Palisade. We hinted at the end of Issue 8 with Violet's story, that weird visual with Hannah pulling her through the mirror – uh, and then she wakes up back in Palisade. Uh, mm-hmm. We're t- there's there's a weird thing happening in the town, and we're going to tie in the cliffhanger from Seven, where those giant tentacled creatures were smashing through the through the town. We're going right back to that, and the consequences of Garib Lake getting that mask, of Sawyer being captured, what it all means. And we're going to tie all that stuff up, uh, which is going to project us into the the next arc, which will. Probably hit spring of next year, mm-hmm. um, and then we have that fill-in issue uh, with Tess Fowler, who is an artist that I admire and and I think she's wonderful. And uh, I've I've seen her art uh, online, and I contacted her. I don't know, this has got to be like January probably of this year, and we've been talking about like we have a pitch that we're working on and trying to get published. But I said, you know what? Why don't in the meantime, why don't you just do one fill-in issue? And, uh, you know, there's so many characters that are side characters that I would just really want to tell their story. And I told her what Braga's story was. I said, would you be interested in doing a one-shot with, uh, with that character? And she loved the idea. So we're going to be dealing with Braga and, like, her history and uh, where she comes from. Uh, we pretty much – she did an interview last week where – you know, she was. I told her, yeah. You can you could talk about the character. We can't talk about her story. <laughs> um, but but Braga is a transgender character, and so so we'll be dealing with that in her story. And uh, yeah, so I, I would love to do more one shots. We'll see if you know if I have time. It really comes down to it's it's like an extra script that I have to write in the series. So uh, we'll, we'll see what my timelines like. But I really do. Do enjoy them so yeah and and the next arc is probably going to be a big massive shocking game changer i don't think anyone's going to see it coming so uh it's called the the next arc is titled demons so ominous
0: (laughs) yeah awesome well thanks so much for taking the time to talk about rat
1: queens curtis hey no problem i appreciate you (laughs) rebooking this whole thing after the debacle that was me
0: oh man i'm easy going (laughs) All right, sounds good. (laughs) Can't wait to see what you guys uh, come up with next.
1: Cool, man. Well, I appreciate the support and taking the time to interview me.
0: All right, have a great night.
1: All right, talk to you later. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the 11th episode of Colloquium with Curtis J. Weeb. You can find out more about Curtis on his website, CurtisWeeb.com. He's also on Twitter at CurtisJWeeb. For more about Colloquium, visit the Sequart Research and Literacy Organization website at sequart.org. Along with this cast, you'll find reviews, documentaries, scholarly articles, and many unique books that discuss and analyze your favorite comic book series and creators. Big thank you to John Raffano, who wrote and performed the Colloquium theme song. John is the guitarist for the post-rock metal band, Sonhet. You can listen to the band's music at sonhet.bandcamp.com Until next time, chums.